So we're going to hear God's word now, and we're going to be continuing our series in trusting God, sorry, series in the Old Testament, and our title today is Trusting God in Hard Times, uh, reading the Old Testament in a way that truly speaks to us into our lives. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah 55. And I say truly because there are lots of ways of reading the Old Testament that are not true in the way they allow you to speak. They are they are false. And we're going to say, well, how do you speak in a way that enables it to speak truly into your life? So uh, I've got the, the four things we're going to do. And um, uh, first of all, well, the first thing we're going to do is look at, to, to, to read the story in historical context. And the second thing we're going to do is pay attention to New Testament quotes from the Old Testament passage. And the third thing we're going to do is to hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this passage. So before we look at it, uh, a bit of background of the historical context of Isaiah. So Isaiah splits into two halves. Really quite strikingly, the first up to 43 and then 44 to the end, which is 66. And there are quite, there are different time periods. The first is in Jerusalem, there's a tax by the Assyrians and it's a few weeks ago we actually looked at that passage with Hezekiah bringing the prayer before the Lord. That's the first half. And then it switches to prophetic word to the people in the captivity having been there a long time. And um, it's it's quite amazing because it switches from speaking in the present to speaking prophetically quite a long time into the future. And we know the captivity for the southern kingdom was 70 years, so it was well into that. So unbelieving scholars have said, oh, this has got to be two people because he's mentioning facts in the second half, which he couldn't have known when he lived. But, of course, we don't have a problem with God giving accurate prophetic words about the names of kings and that sort of thing. And actually, it's very hard to argue that it splits into two because it's the same voice that speaks right the way through. It's got the same feeling. It feels like the same person speaking. But anyway, so this is the context. And we are now having a prophetic word addressed to a people who are in Babylon. And these people are, um, they, they've been there a long time and their homeland is destroyed. Uh, the city is burned with fire and the temple is gone. And the, the two empires who held them captive were brutally powerful, relentless empires and there are some, in, in one of the palaces in Nineveh, there are some war sculptures just describing what they did for fun. And maybe we can just look. So here's, the kings are going on a lion hunt. And they recorded this on around the sort of decoration around the palace. And uh, here they are heading out. And there we have it, the, the, uh, the emperor, the next slide, the emperor on a chariot. And he's after the lion and actually you can see right at the back of that you can see there's a lion trying to jump up on the chariot and there's the guy they're going from with the swords <laughs> you know it's like a bit of imagination here then we have the king has got the lion look you can see he's look it's a very graphic picture of this lion he's kind of really upset and uh looking 
worse for wear there with lots of arrows in him. And then I love the last picture. The last picture is a very dead lion and he's got his paws up there, poor guy. Um, so anyway, I'm just giving you that as kind of a background. We've got a lot of archaeology from these guys. These were very, very powerful guys who, um, who had them in captivity. There was no way that they were going to have an uprising and escape. The thing is that they were there because of their own evil. That, and uh, Jesus reminded us in, in the Gospels, he said, he reminded the people, he said, God sent you the prophets again and again and again, and you killed them. He sent you the prophets in mercy, and you killed them. And this is what had happened. So these people were in, in captivity, but worse than that, they knew that they deserved it. And so the first temptation was hopelessness, to give up. And they were covered in guilt and shame. And so it's important to understand this, because into this framework into this mindset if you can imagine being in this mindset of you know you're you're there because you're guilty and you know that that this is this is what was promised and eventually god did it then these words are spoken so we're going to look at isaiah 53 and isaiah 53 we read he was he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So we know this was written about Jesus. But can you imagine what they thought? What, when they heard this prophecy, what, what would they thought? Like, what would it have meant to them? Um, it sounds like grief, but who is it? Um, how do you think they would have reacted? Well, let me, let's read the next bit and then I'll ask you. Um, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what do you think? Do you think they would have understood? You can answer. No. 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 Do you think they had any glimmer of understanding? No. Well, I, you know, I think they could have had a glimmer of understanding. Why might they have had a glimmer? Because this is about sacrifice in something it talks about a lamb for example I'm a sheep that's a big clue but it's about something being sacrificed for something else and the whole sacrificial system was about an, like the sacrifice carrying the sins of the sacrificer and so this idea of substitution was right the way through and the Passover was about substitution you know because the Passover blood was shed they didn't carry it. And here it's saying there is a substitute for you. And so the, I, I don't think they would have had full clarity. There's no way they could have known that this was about God becoming man. But nevertheless, this is about shame being taken away. Would you agree with me that guilt and shame are taken away through this? So they wouldn't have got why, but something here is prophetic about a point where their shame is lifted. And so this is really important because this is, I think, like, that we sometimes need this word spoken to us. We're carrying guilt and shame. And we need to hear this, 
The shame is lifted off. The guilt is lifted off. You are not carrying it. It is being carried by someone else. So, um, so at this point, we can briefly go to our outline and jump to the, the next question. Second question, which is, um, is it quoted in the New Testament? And of course, this is quoted in the New Testament. Um, there are, there are a number of places where we're very clearly told that this is talking about Jesus. So, um, the temptation then, was to forget about God and his promises and become like the nations. So if you think you're never going home again, why continue worshipping God? Why not just become like the nations? This was the temptation. Just blend in, just get used to it, just live. And this was the temptation. And uh, so this is when the next, I'm going to read some of Isaiah 44, these beautiful verses come in. And I really want you to take these verses in because they are so beautiful and I want you to hear them spoken to you. And if nothing else this morning, I want you to hear God speaking to your heart through these incredible verses. Um, So, Isaiah 54. Fear not, you who will not be ashamed. Do not be intimidated, for you will not be humiliated. For you will not forget... Sorry, you will forget about the shame of your youth. You no longer remember the disgrace of abandonment. For your husband is the one who made you. The Lord who commands armies is his name. He is your protector, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the entire earth he is called. And he's saying, like, I'm like your husband and I'm going to look after you and I'm the God of the entire earth. Wow. So that's, don't, this is like the opposite. Instead of shame and guilt, you have God taking you. And um, this is one, this was a promise that people should hang on to the promises that were made. Um, uh, there is yet to be a salvation which is brighter than they can ever imagine. And they can't see any of it right now, but he's calling them to believe this. And the This is going to require faith, because when you can't see anything physically, you can't see any evidence of it. The only way that these verses make sense is if you trust the one who's saying them. And this is true with us as well in many situations. It's all about whether we trust. Well, let's carry on these verses. These are amazing. Verse 6. Indeed, the Lord will call you back like a wife abandoned and in depression, like a young wife when she has been rejected, says your God. For a short time I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will gather you. (laughs) This must have been just such like life being spoken into these people. If If they had any belief in God at all, to hear these words, you know, I'm bringing you back, I'm not abandoning you. I'm keeping you. These are just such treasured words, uh, just amazing. Um, um, he says, I've commanded, uh, have, I'm committed to you, he says. I'm, I'm your husband. I'm, I'm not going to let go of you. And um, this culminates in the amazing words in verse 10 and, and 11. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, 
nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, the one who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphire. Um, So this is the Jerusalem that's burned with rubble. But the promise hasn't happened yet. It hasn't actually come to being yet. Um, And even even though God gives these words to them, it hasn't become a reality. And so this brings us to the climax of the sermon. This brings us to the climax that are, are we going to trust? God has spoken these words and he's spoken similar words to you and I that he's never going to abandon us. He's for us. He has a destiny for us. And the real question is, are we going to hold these words and to take them in? And this is, this is the challenge for you this morning, just as it was a challenge for them in those days. So now we're moving to the chapter, which is the focus this morning and is the climax. And I want you to take these words personally. So Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come and buy without money and without price, wine and milk. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? So if we're going to look at, we're not going to show the slide, but point two is, is there any, anything in the New Testament? Can you tell me anything in the New Testament that corresponds with this? 96. Okay, which is? Do not worry. Yes, that's right. Matthew 6. What else is there? Do you think of anybody Jesus spoke to that involved water? Yes. Okay. The Samaritan woman. That's right. And, uh, but also, the, probably the main one is John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, we have uh, um, the last day of the feast. Uh, uh, the last, the great day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And uh, the thing is that Jesus is, is alluding to this Isaiah passage, but probably at that feast, from what we know historically, they actually read that passage at this particular feast Jesus is at. Can you imagine that? You know, they read the passage and Jesus says, Hey, I'm the person they're talking about. This is about me. Wow. And so we get a very good, um, this is really good to helping to understand the New Testament. You know, when Jesus quotes the old, that passage and, it, and explains it, then that shows us whether we're on the right track or not. So um, what is this saying then? Well, uh, these, these, how are these people in Isaiah's time trying to spend their wages? They're trying to spend their wages on that which is not bread, that which it doesn't satisfy. What does that mean? Well, really, it means that they're, that they're being tempted to find their satisfaction in what the people around them are doing. And this is such a temptation for us. You know, we're bombarded with advertisements telling us how life is going to satisfy us and what's going to satisfy us. We're bombarded all the time. And this is what the, 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 the woman at the well was trying to satisfy her relational needs. But she responded to Jesus and she switched to following Jesus and became satisfied in him. And so this is the call that we have. Are you spending 
your resources, your energy, your passion on what doesn't satisfy. Because actually you're missing out on the thing that can most satisfy you. And um, so so I, I think that the, probably this is one of the most important things that we can take from this passage this morning. And these verses are a beautiful invitation to come to Jesus. He says, come to me, come and do this. But what does this actually mean? And like, we can't actually buy stuff from Jesus for free. Like, it doesn't, like, you can't actually do it. So what does it mean? So let's go back to our passage in Isaiah. And we're going to look at um, verse 2. says, and this is the response they're called to. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the faithful love promised to David. So it says, listen carefully. Now, that doesn't mean they just have to listen to the words and go away. In the Jewish language and culture, hear just doesn't mean just take it in with your ear, but it means acting on those words. So to hear Jesus means to listen and respond to that. And Jesus says, he, he who has ears to hear, let, let him hear. In other words, uh, um, follow me and, and, and actually do what I'm telling you to do. And the people who were, who were listening to Isaiah's message at this time, hadn't totally given up on the idolatry that had put them into captivity. It was still lurking in their hearts. And Isaiah is saying, come and fully give your life to God. And this is true to all of us. You know, even if we're we're true Christians, we've been following for many years, there is what the Apostle Paul calls the flesh that is within us. And it's that tendency to drag us back into the old ways. And this call here is to leave that behind because God has something better for you, something more satisfying for you. So we have the choice, the same choice as they do. The choice is, what is society around you calling you to satisfy you in? Um, but what is Jesus calling you to do? So what does this actually mean in practice? What, what, so let's look at uh, verses four and five. This is the promise that they're given. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely, and so this is this is an interesting question, who the he is. Surely you shall call a nation you do not you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall turn to you, to run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he's glorified he's glorified you. So um, the the who is the he in these verses? Um, it's the same one as earlier in the chapter. The same he who's going to carry our sins. It's the leader, the commander, who is going to bring the glory. But um, uh, what? So what, what is actually? What does this really mean in practice? What's going to happen in practice? This is a promise, but what does it mean? like literally in practice. Well, we're going to come forward to that in just a minute, but we're going to go back again to a call, to another renewed call in verse verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. So that's a call once again to drop the temptations they had to compromise. Um, and uh, so let's move forward then into how this can speak to us. And I'd like to go back to our, our outline and just see where we are with this. We've looked at the historical background. We've we've looked at some references to how this is interpreted in the New Testament. And now I really focus in these closing verses of our of our passage. I want to focus on hearing the Spirit speak to us through these verses. Well, I hope the Spirit's already been speaking to you, but we have a treasure in store for us now. Like, if you think we've had some exciting verses, we have some amazing verses coming up now. And I just want you to, um, you to, to, to really receive them. But just to prepare your hearts to do that, um, maybe you've some situations in your life where it seems dark, where there's some, some hardness and you don't see a way out. And you, and maybe you know that your response isn't right, how it should be doing stuff, but you don't know a way out of this. And God says, I'm going to work things out for you. If you stay looking at me and trusting me, I will work things out. But you think, well, how's he going to do that? Like, what's he going to do? And the problem is when you're in difficulties, it's, 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 Difficult to imagine how God is going to get you out. It's difficult to imagine what the answer to prayer is going to be. And this is their problem. Like it didn't seem possible really that anything could happen to help them. It just didn't seem possible. But God is saying, no, what I'm going to do is so wonderful that you're not going to be able to believe that it's true when it happens. And um, so, you know, maybe you've had darkness in your life. Maybe you've had times of illness or something that's really hard. I mean, I've had times of darkness in my life and I've, I've really not seen how it could work out. And God has brought me through. And I, so I, I can see he has been faithful and I've, I've trusted him and he has taken me through. And so I want to say the real problem that they had in this time historically and that you probably have right now is that God's not told you how he's going to do it yet. And all you know is that God has said he's faithful. All you know is God, he says, I'm there for you. I'm not going to abandon you. You know, I'm committed to you forever. But he's not told you what he's going to do. If he would explain the plans to us, it would be much easier, wouldn't it? But he didn't give them plans. And this is exciting in this story because when it happened, it was just mind blowing. But they didn't know at this point and they had to believe without knowing. And uh, so... Uh, then they're told about the land, how the cities are burned and so on. And um, uh, they, uh, so let's just read the next verses. Um, how, okay, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is just such a such a wise statement. You know, God's God's ways are higher than us. And then he gives this beautiful piece of poetry in Hebrew. It's just what they call staircase parallelism, where it looks like a staircase. Can you just show it? 
there. And you can see like the verse builds up like a staircase. And uh, he says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and makes it sprout that I may give seed to the sower and bread to the the eater, God is saying, look, I don't just give you bread directly. I've got like a very complicated way of doing it. I start off in the clouds and then that brings rain and the rain causes seeds to grow and the seeds grow and they produce bread and, and fruit and, and then you eat those and that sustains you. You know, sometimes God doesn't do things simply. He's got like complicated ways of doing things. And so this is an illustration of how he finds food, of how he, he does things in a, a in his own creative way. And, um, you know, if, if, if you come to me and say, oh, Andrew, I'm so hungry. I've not eaten for three days. Do you have any food in the house? You know, you'd expect me to go to the refrigerator and get something for you. You wouldn't expect me to sort of kind of come some weird plan about where we're going to start with the clouds. You know, it's, this is, but this is God. God is different. Sometimes he is unfathomable and works in mysterious ways. Um, let me just tell you a story about God's strange way of working. One evening in home group, we had a worship time and we sat down and we opened our Bibles. And we were just about to start reading and there was a ring at the doorbell and um, they opened the door and it was three Mormons there. And they said, oh, do you want to talk about the Bible? And <laughs> do you remember this? And we said, sure, come and sit down. <laughs> and they came and sat down and we just carried on Bible study and they were really involved. Like they were like, whoa and they were kind of really involved as we went through anyway after half an hour one of them said oh, look at the time we were supposed to come we were supposed to be gone like 25 minutes ago where anyway and so they oh, thank you so much we've got a rush anyway they disappeared now we don't know anything more we never saw them again but i can't believe that that was by accident because the timing was precision perfect and the wording and like the, what God, God was clearly doing something in their hearts. I mean, it could be that they, were, they weren't even from Canada. They were from the U.S. somewhere. And they went back and then God used something else to bring some more seed into their hearts and save them. But God is amazing like that. He just loves to do these creative things. And I could tell you lots of stories about the clever things, like beautiful little things that he's done in my life in that kind of way. And what happened was... Um, in in the, this this time, uh, there was an emperor Cyrus who became the emperor of the uh, of the this huge empire, and God put it into his heart, uh, which was absolutely crazy. But God put it into his heart, not only to allow them to rebuild Jerusalem, but actually to fund it with his own gold, and actually supply a military escort to them so nobody attacked them on the way. And like, how could they possibly have imagined that would happen? Like, it was absolutely unbelievable. And the, and the city was rebuilt, as you know, if you've read history. So that was God's amazing answer to them. He had in his extraordinary way. So let's carry on uh, the next verses. So um, I just want to... So the, we just read verse 10, and verse 10 is about how he feeds them. And then verse 11 says... So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall be a but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall pros prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So, in other words, um, when I start a process like this, it's not going to 
somehow go wrong and, you know, the rain misses and something. I've planned it from the beginning and I'm going to take it through. Um, God's promises will happen. The rain doesn't go back up into the sky. And then let's look at verse 12. Um, With joy you shall go out and in peace be led forth. The mountains and the hills shall burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now that's, of course, this is poetry, but it's speaking of like, uh, you will have such joy when you're walking, like when you're walking back to your land, that it will be like the mountains are laughing for joy. Like as, like it's just going to be, you'll just feel the whole of creation is entering into your joy. And, uh, so then he ends by telling them about the extraordinary results of this word going forth. They will go out of Babylon with such joy that it will be like, you know, the mountains are, 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 are themselves are singing and bursting into song. And in, in Psalm 126, we read, When the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. You know, it's like, this is a dream, this can't be real. Pinch myself. You know, I'm walking back into Jerusalem. This is incredible. And um, uh, in the wildest dreams, it couldn't have happened. And Isaiah is saying, hold on to God's promises and he will keep them beyond your wildest dreams. For you'll be like children jumping around with glee. So uh, let's look at the last verse that we're going to read today. And this is in verse 13. Instead of, and instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and I shall be to the Lord, and it shall, and it, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So now things are desolate, but now life is going to spring forth in the desolation. The nation won't be cut off, it will actually come to to this amazing conclusion. Um, so I want to challenge you to hear what God is saying to you this morning. Do you believe that God is active in your life? Now, I don't know what your struggles are at the moment. Uh, some of you have major struggles, some minor ones, but all of us are tempted to doubt God's goodness in our lives. But God has not forgotten. And I want us to rem- remember the verse we're going to see a, um, a a picture of Mount Everest. And Mount Everest, why am I showing that? Because it says, if we can look at the next verse, it says, though mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you shall not be shaken. So even you know, Mount Everest would be moved before God's love for you will be shaken. It's even more secure than, than Mount Everest. Um, says the Lord, the one who has compassion on you. Now, I just before I finish, I want to address a, a very damaging false teaching that's around at the moment. That's sometimes called name it and claim it. And the idea is that faith is speaking out what you want and naming it and believing it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, you haven't, you don't have enough faith. And, uh, uh, so for example, I'm now going to claim the lottery and I'm going to speak out that the Ontario lottery draw in November is going to be mine. Okay, so that's speaking it out. And I'm going to have faith it's going to happen. But the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
In other words, God has to tell you what to believe. You can't invent something and have faith for it. The faith is in what God has spoken. Now, sometimes he might, might speak it prophetically into your heart. Um, very often it's there in the scriptures. Um, but uh, the key idea is that it's God who speaks the words and it's his words that we can have faith in, not something that we've come up with with our own imagination. This is really important because Christians have got misled and disillusioned through wrong and dangerous teaching in this area. But, you know, there's no shortage of things that God has said. You know, this passage, read it again when we're done today and just see this passage about God not abandoning you. You know, God is with you. He's going to, he's going to keep you safe. These are so amazing promises that we don't need to be imagining anything to build our own little ideas. Um, so they uh, they could believe these incredible promises because God has promised them. So if you put your trust in him, um, that means that you're not trying to satisfy your own core longings yourself, but you're giving those to God and saying, God, I'm going to put you first and allow you to satisfy those core longings. And if you're not a Christian, then these verses are an invitation today. They're an invitation to come and say, Lord, forgive me for trying to solve my, to, to, to satisfy, solve my own problems in my own way, in a way that, that doesn't take you into consideration. I want to trust you with them. Now, that doesn't mean to say we don't do anything. You know, if we have financial problems, we still might need to go to work. But we, we leave it to God as the one who ultimately we can trust in. And and becoming a Christian is making that shift from someone trusting in yourself and your own resources to someone ultimately trusting in God. So I want you to remember then, God is working and God never breaks his promises. So let's close in prayer, shall we? Thank you, Father, for this amazing passage in Isaiah. And thank you, Lord, that you did come through in the most extraordinary way with your salvation for those people. And those who trusted in you saw your credible answers and they really did return with joy and laughing, thinking they were like having a dream when they returned to the land. And Lord, we pray that we may have similar stories of trusting you. And Lord, even when the... Our answers you give us are not dramatic like those, but are just a simple, more of a simple peace. Lord, we pray that we will, we will just trust and rejoice in what you have for us, knowing you are the good Father who does not fail his people. Lord, we give our problems to you now. We surrender them to you. Lord, we surrender our guilt to you. We surrender our sin to you. All the bad stuff, Lord, we just give to you as well. Lord, we give it all to you and we receive these wonderful, credible promises. Thank you, God. Amen.